doing theology is not just a matter of feeding biblical data into one's mind or brain and then processing it like a computer and then out of that processing comes the right theology. As we walk with God as my spiritual father at Chaplain Welsh at Wheaton College said, I'm a Wheaton College graduate, he said that uh, we always are open to new light breaking forth from the Word of God. Isn't that a great statement? The Bible is so rich that new light can break forth. So uh, after Wheaton, uh, and through many trials and intellectual things. Uh, I was training to be a Presbyterian pastor and God called me to Jewish ministry 48 years ago and I got hooked and have never left it. But I thought Jewish ministry was important. I thought that Jews needed to come to faith in Yeshua. I was tied to both the Jewish world and the evangelical world at that time. And through various uh, means, God brought me back to a more Holy Spirit charismatic orientation. And then I began to see that uh, God reveals the meaning of the word to us. Uh, we really do need the Holy Spirit to see with depth. Now, when I say that, I'm, and, and what I'm going to share with you, I don't argue that when we sense what the Holy Spirit is saying in the word, that that settles the issue. We always have to go back to the Word and seek to prove new insights in the Holy Spirit, to prove it by uh, studying the text to make sure that really is what the text was really saying. If we uh, get this concept of revelation or illumination by the Spirit, and it's not in the text, then we have to say, well, we just missed it. Well, what I'm going to share with you today came from an experience where the Lord spoke to me. And, you know, I'm a Jewegian. That means I have a Jewish father and a Norwegian mother. And he spoke to me and he said that my Norwegian heritage was very important and that one of the reasons I was called to Jewish work was in loyalty to my Norwegian ancestors. Can you imagine that? I wasn't expecting that kind of a word from God in about 1980. God gave me a revelation of his love for the whole church. And as a Messianic Jew, that was amazing. He spoke to me and said, if I'm going to be the kind of Messianic Jewish leader he wants, that I had to love the whole church. Uh, wow. I mean, can you imagine getting that kind of a word when I was already the president of the only National Association of Messianic Jewish Congregations? called the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, and now I get this word about God's love for the whole church. In that same experience, the Lord began to open me up to something I now call five pillars eschatology or five pillars commitments. And I'm gonna explain what those commitments are. It was very interesting in meeting Jonathan Frizz. Um, I found that he had four of those five exactly the same as me, and he didn't, he didn't, uh, get these ideas for me at all. It was pretty stunning. I have a fifth, so I shared the fifth with Jonathan, so he probably has five now too. But, um, but uh, he's, he's giving me the thumbs up on that. But um, what happened is that the Lord spoke to me about the nature of what the church would be before the Lord returned. He said he would bring the church into restoration and fullness. And then I got these uh, basic foundations of what would have to happen 
before the Lord returned, what God would bring about before the return of the Lord. It was so stunning, and I began to teach this 40 years ago. Uh, we put a lot of this into a book uh, called Israel the Hope and Israel the Church in the Last Days. And by the way, this is an extraordinary season because you have these meetings for Pentecost. We're having a world event on Thursday, connecting John Arnott and uh, Bill Johnson and people in China and Asia. The last time we did this so supernaturally, some a million people connected to this for the unity of the church. And we're sharing these things, the same things that uh, you believe, that Jonathan teaches. But um, when I got this, it was so stunning that I uh, wrote them down. It became part of this book. And then I went to uh, Norway to find relatives that I hadn't met. And I met with the dean of the Lutheran Theological School, who was a wonderful man and supporter of Messianic Jews. And you know, you speak in Norwegian, his name was Oscar Skarsene. You have to say it like that, Skarsene. And uh, he opened a book in um, Norwegian and showed me pictures and translated what it said. And he called four of the five things that I'm gonna share with you pillars. And he explained how these pillars went back to some of the Puritans and then got really solidly formed in the Lutheran Pietists around 1730 and then became foundational to the Moravian movement under Ludwig von Zinzendorf, who's the father of the whole 24 seven idea. I was stunned. So I began to use his word pillars uh, for this, uh, but I have to credit it to him. It wasn't how I received it at the time in 1980. You know, when I uh, entered graduate school in 1969, 1970, I really didn't know what to think about the doctrine of the last days or eschatology. The different interpretations of the book of Revelation and uh, the events of the last days and the wars and invasions of Israel and I have my views on those things now, but the, the light began to dawn on me when my spiritual father gave me a book by George Ladd called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And I said, wow, that's the answer. That, the, that eschatology begins with the idea that the kingdom of God has broken into this world and that with the gospel, we are inviting people to live in and from the kingdom of God under the lordship of Yeshua, that that's what the gospel is, and that the kingdom really has come, but in an already not yet way, and that the preaching of the gospel is an eschatological or last days program that is moving history the, to the climax of the second coming. So about 1970, I came to understand that through my spiritual father and reading George Ladd, and that became a foundation of what the Lord would speak to me some 10 years later, in 1980. The first thing I want to say about uh, what I call five pillars eschatology, it begins in Acts chapter two, and to realize that we need to also read chapter two of Acts in an already not yet way, connecting it to Joel chapter two. We read here, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, they spoke in other languages that they had not learned. And then when Peter interprets it, he says, uh, quoting the prophet Yoel, and it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, male and female, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will give wonder in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood, fire, and smoky vapor. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of Adonai comes. Now, if you study the issue of the day of the Lord, that's the day when God has his final intervention for deliverance for his people, but judgment on the wicked that are not willing to repent. That is the day of the Lord. And it says that this is going to happen before the day of the Lord. The judgment in the first century, the destruction of Jerusalem, was a day of the Lord. Days of the Lord uh, and judgment days and deliverance days foreshadow the ultimate day of the Lord. But there's going to come an ultimate day of the Lord. And I understand by this that what happened in Acts chapter 2 was a, an installment, a great installment, a crucial event. But it's a foreshadowing of a larger worldwide event, a revival, where people will come into a place of passion for Jesus, Yeshua, and that his whole church worldwide of true believers, not everybody is going to be of that, but the characteristic of the church of true believers will be an incredible passion for Jesus, and so we believe in a world revival. The first place I found this taught was in the Puritans in the 1600s, who uh, taught that we are going to see a succession of revivals and outpourings. They would ebb and flow until right at the end of this age, we're going to see a great revival worldwide, and it will never end, and it will lead to the second coming of Jesus. So I believe that Acts chapter 2 is not just about what happened then, and I could point to many other passages. And if you read Yoel carefully, it's the same thing. That final outpouring is going to lead to the last invasions in Israel, the ultimate conversion of the nations. It's the, uh, it's the final intervention of God. So the first pillar of God is that we seek God for revival, and we are committed for revival. We are revivalists, and uh, we 100% believe in a world revival, and in Israel. It's going to happen here in Israel before the second coming of the Lord, and we're going to see a great harvest here in Israel before the second coming of the Lord. So that's revival in Israel and the nation's passion for Jesus. That is the first pillar of our eschatology. The second, and by the way, it doesn't have to be in this order. And these are all connected to one another. They're all intertwined. So you can put them in any order, uh, but we gotta have an order just to prevent, present it, but you could reverse the order and it's the same thing. In John chapter 17, uh, which some commentaries say is the great eschatological or last day's prayer of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Yeshua said in verse 20, I pray not on behalf of these only, but also for those who believe in me through their message, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, so also may they be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them as you love me. By the way, it's interesting when we talk about unity, the very famous 
Puritan commentator, uh, Matthew Henry, in that most famous one-volume Bible commentary of all time from three, four hundred years ago, argued that John 17 especially has to do with the unity of Jew and Gentile in Yeshua. Isn't that amazing? But uh, Matthew Henry says this. So uh, Yeshua prays that we might be one and that our unity as believers will lead to the world believing, will lead to the conversion of the nations, and will lead to us being with him where he is, which is connected to the second coming of Yeshua. So I came to understand this tremendous unity move coming in connection to revival, and that the unity of the body of believers was going to be a key to the salvation of the nations, this, the key to world evangelism, the key to the salvation of Israel. You see in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll come back to Ephesians 4 for the fifth pillar, the same kind of understanding here, because it talks about leadership and the progress of the body of Christ. And then it says, uh, until we come to, this will continue until we all come to the unity of the faith, to mature uh, unto the knowledge of Ben Elohim, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. And hardly uh, fathom what that means. Unity of the faith, mature adulthood, the full stature, the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. Extraordinary texts. And you know, I lived all these years as a believer from the time I was 12 years old until I received this at age 33. Receiving a revelation like this is going to get you crucified. 33 is the age of crucifixion, right? Well, it did lead to some crucifixion, these convictions, even recently. But um, this idea of unity as a key thing before the coming of the Lord is very, very important. Then uh, I connect this to the key to fulfilling the commandment of Yeshua in the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 24, 14, um, you can hear my rustling my Bible pages. Yeshua says in verse 13 to enter in, the one who endureth to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, every ethnos, and then the end will come. What does he mean, the end? He doesn't mean the world comes to an end, like the sandwich board guys, you know, in Times Square who say the world is coming to an end. I've got news for you. The world isn't coming to an end. After the judgments of Yeshua at the end, the whole world is renewed. So we, we, don't, need to, we don't need to worry about the world coming to an end. Uh, we, we need to realize that we are talking about the end of this age and the coming of the fullness of the age to come. So before that takes place, and only God knows when this adequate witness has been given, but an adequate testimony has to be given to all the nations of the world. And then the end of this age will come. And that means the return of the Lord. Uh, on our last phone call, uh, the unveiling with Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson made this point. It was an amazing point. 
he was speaking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and Yeshua said that if the testimony that had been given to the Galilean cities had been given to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And he made this amazing point from this text, and he said, we need to believe that we owe it to the world to give the kind of signs and wonders testimony to the nations that would have produced the repentance in Sodom and Gomorrah. And when I hear that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness, it's a signs and wonders kind of testimony like we read about in the book of Acts, like it's happening with Heidi Baker in Mozambique. See, we're a messianic movement that identifies with this kind of Christianity, the signs and wonders empowered Christianity. And as we pray for revival and unity, we're going to see more and more of that power of the gospel and testimony to the nations. And then the fourth pillar, I've gotten three, right? Revival and passion for Yeshua is one. Unity of the body of believers is two, including Jew and Gentile. Three, completing the work of the Great Commission, preaching the gospel of the kingdom in all nations. And then number four, making Israel jealous. And if you want to turn in your scriptures with me to Romans chapter 11 and renew it again, there's so much more here in Romans 11, but uh, it's just uh, so important to see the fullness of this and that this is the first time in history that we are on the verge of being able to see this fulfilled. It's amazing. So we read in Romans chapter 11, verse 11, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? May it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles to, for the purpose of provoking Israel to jealousy. It's quite an amazing thing here that Paul sees world missions as having, as one of its purposes to provoke Israel to jealousy, that is zealous desire for what they see in the nations, the people of the nations that come to faith. If their transgression means riches for the world and their loss riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? In other words, when Israel comes into her fullness of faith in Yeshua, it will bring much greater riches to the whole world than their, their unbelief seemed to have brought some riches, but their believing will bring much more. But I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I, as a Jew, Paul as a Jew, am an emissary to the Gentiles. I am an emissary to the Gentiles. I spotlight or magnify my ministry if I may provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, I, I, I want to include verse 16. If the first fruits is holy, so is the whole batch of dough. There are some things in this text that a lot of people miss. The thing that people get, and this is not a new insight in church history, that Israel's coming to the Lord at the end of the age, will lead to the second coming. That somehow their calling upon Yeshua is a key to the second coming of Jesus. Now, I was actually amazed that this is even today in the Roman Catholic Catechism. Romans 11 here says, 
the key to the second coming is Israel. All of history is awaiting for this confession. But what a lot of people miss is that some of the things that lead up to this confession is that the Gentiles are empowered by God in the kind of gospel witness that can make people uh, jealous. It's not just the kind of gospel witness that's intellectual and rational. It's the kind of gospel witness that has power and the revelation of God and signs and wonders, just like for the nations, and that it makes them jealous. But before all of Israel embraces it, we're going to see a part of Israel embrace it. See, Paul says that the Jews who come to faith, he calls them the saved remnant of Israel in verse 5 of chapter 11. And here he calls them the first fruits that sanctify the rest of the nation. You know, we were arguing with some Christian Zionists who don't believe it's a good thing for Jews to come to faith in Jesus at this time. They almost look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, 39. You will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They reverse it and say, when you see me, you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that's not what Jesus said. He says, you will not see me until you say. So the confession of Jesus is a key to his second coming. But that confession of Jesus requires us to raise up a saved remnant of Israel, because Paul says, I want to see some of Israel saved. There has to be the significant some before Israel is saved. So making Israel jealous is another one of the pillars of eschatology that we're committed to. And then finally, the fifth pillar, coming back to Ephesians uh, 4. Ephesians 4 is about leaders, equipping leaders. He says, God has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of service. And this will continue until we come to unity of the faith and mature adulthood to the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. I believe that God is now, even as I speak to you, raising up leaders, and I am meeting leaders all over the world who embrace these other pillars, who embrace the unity of the church and passion for Jesus, who embrace uh, um, those first two that I just mentioned, the revival and passion for Jesus, number two, the unity of the church, who embrace completing the work of preaching the gospel of the kingdom in all the world, who embrace making Israel jealous and being joined in unity with the Messianic Jewish community. And we must pray for and believe for a world leadership to arise that is committed to the other four pillars, but that leadership arising is the fifth. What, whatever they call themselves, they are key leaders of the church of the last days. And we see leaders of the church like this now embracing this. We see people in China, from the Chinese underground church, the key apostles embracing this, from the South Pacific Islands to Africa. We see leaders like this in America, and we see people like John Arnott now getting on board with all of this in, in the dialogues we've been having, and he's been with us on all these efforts. And you folks are getting on board with all this. And we are seeing prayer movements connecting right now because of the coronavirus, the blessing in disguise is that people are connecting for prayer worldwide in a way that they've never connected before. We've been forced to it. People don't have as many schedule conflicts. And we're seeing this word 
of these four initiatives, as Jonathan called them, or the five pillars now with the leadership part, really getting established. This is really exciting. It's been a dream of 40 years, and I'm watching it happen. Amen. So may God bless you. May we see this come about in our day. May we see extraordinary miracles and signs and wonders and outpourings of the Spirit. And let's believe and pray that we're going to see it this year. In a few days on Pentecost, we're going to see something that will be dramatically changing the nature of things in this world. A dramatic move from heaven on earth that God's will will be done. Amen. Are you with me? I hope so.